Warning, if you missed the 60s or haven't had access to a TV for the last 45 years, this review contains spoilers. As promised, albeit belatedly, here's the first in a series of reviews of classic SF cinema. Sometimes, most times actually, there isn't enough new SF cinema that's even worth talking about. Yes, I suppose I should have done reviews of I Am Legend and Transformers, but let's face it, it's unlikely those movies are going to have the impact of Forbidden Planet, Blade Runner, or 2001. Some classic SF cinema has worked its way so deeply into our culture and our collective unconscious that it has helped, in some way, to form our world. And so, between reviews of the next Will Smith SF action vehicle or forgettable dragon epic, I'd like to talk about them. Where better to start than with Kubrick? Kubrick made three films that can be considered, to some extent or other, SF, Dr. Strangelove, 2001, and A Clockwork Orange, and they've all made a lasting impression on our culture. Images from these three movies still pop up all over the place, in other movies, in South Park, and The Simpsons, in casual conversation. Kubrick added to our cultural iconography. I'll get around to all three of these movies sooner or later, but I'll start with the one that, for my money, struck closest to home, Dr. Strangelove that deliciously macabre rejoinder to Failsafe. Actually, Strangelove and Failsafe came out in the same year, 1964. Strangelove was based more on Peter George's novel Red Alert than Burdick and Wheeler's Failsafe. And there was a lot of legal wrangling between the two film productions behind the scenes, instigated by Kubrick so as to ensure that his black comedy was released months prior to Sidney Lumet's more somber and realistic production of Failsafe. That same year also saw the first production of Seven Days in May, a film about an American military coup against a president who wants to sign a nuclear disarmament treaty with the Soviets. Hey, it was a nervous time. I would like to think that you've all seen Strange Love. If you haven't, please do so at once, and be warned that there are minor spoilers in what follows. The film begins with the decision of a deranged Air Force officer, General Jack D. Ripper, to send his air wing past their failsafe points to attack their targets in the Soviet Union. Needless to say, this decision causes a great deal of consternation back at the Pentagon. The movie focuses on the attempts of Ripper's lieutenant, Colonel Mandrake, to coax the recall code out of the general, on the attempt of the president to placate the Soviets and prevent a war, on the efforts of one General Buck Turgidson to convince the president to just commit the rest of our forces to Ripper's mad initiative, and the harrowing flight of a B-52 crew, under the command of one Major Kong, fighting to get through Soviet defenses and reach their targets. The plot closely parallels that of Failsafe, and things end more or less as you would expect. Sounds grim, and it is. But of course, Strangelove is deeply, and for its time, dangerously funny. The movie's first image is that of a high-tech phallus, and the opening credits on the off chance you've never noticed are laid over the image of two warplanes doing the nasty. And those wacky, wacky characters. But are they really that wacky? No, they're really not. 
And that's why Strangelove, after 45 years, remains deeply terrifying. What's so scary about Strangelove is that all the characters, except one, do exactly what they are supposed to do. Major Kong, played by Slim Pickens, and his crew are a case in point. It's easy to dismiss Kong with his ten-gallon hat and cheesy speeches and folksy asides as a clown, a cut-up. But watch him carefully. Kong is intelligent, dazzlingly competent, courageous, and relentless in his pursuit of the mission objective. He's been told to nuke them Ruskies, and goddammit, that's what he's going to do come hell or high water. He carefully authenticates and verifies his orders. He flies into enemy territory. He speaks openly and honestly with his men, like a leader, and perhaps he even inspires them. Heck, I reckon you wouldn't even be human beings if you didn't have some pretty strong personal feelings about nuclear combat. He goes through his checklists. In a feat of steely-nerved aeronautical virtuosity, he gets his plane through a devastating missile attack. Denied his primary target, he goes for the secondary. And when that falls through, he doggedly identifies and attacks a target of opportunity. In an unforgettable sequence, he sacrifices himself to the mission, riding a nuke like a Brahma bull as it falls toward its target. Kong is no clown. He's a freaking hero. And that's what's scary. Kong does exactly what we pay him to do, with courage and cunning and skill, and that's why the world goes up in smoke. It's the same with other characters. The president, played by Peter Sellers, does what presidents do. He confronts the crisis with ineffectual diplomacy and moralistic hand-wringing. Mandrake, also played by Sellers, does everything in his power to persuade Ripper to back off, short of shooting him, which would be rude, and, in the end, makes the brilliant deductions that uncover the recall code. Buck Turgidson, played by George C. Scott, is a caricature, but he's true to form as the cold warrior trained to make tough, cold-blooded strategic decisions. The more you think about his suggestion that, since we're committed anyway, we should nuke the Soviets and catch them with their pants down, the more you realize, to your horror, that it's not an entirely unreasonable alternative, given the circumstances. And Strangelove himself, Sellers again, slyly presented by Kubrick as a Newmanian angel of death, doesn't create the crisis. He simply regards it as another puzzle to be solved, an interesting set of variables and facts. Yes, he's emblematic of the problem, sterilizing human evil by casting it into cruel equations, but he's not the problem itself. Everybody does their best. Everybody does their duty, and they do it well. And everything still goes to hell, because, as Turgeson says, the human element seems to have failed us here. The one wild card, of course, is General Jack D. Ripper. In a way, he too does exactly what he has to, but it can hardly be defended as his duty. So what's scary here is that Ripper's psychotic deployment of the wing is the only irrational act in the entire movie, a stone dropped into a pond, sending out ripples of implacable human excellence and duty, propelling everybody toward disaster. After all these decades, it should still send a chill down your spine and keep you up at night. <laughs> Except it's so goddamn funny. 
This is Jonathan Sullivan. Skate Pod.